This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. So excited to be able to talk about draft picks that actually occurred over the weekend after months and months of speculating where prospects could ultimately go. We had 259 picks over the weekend. I absolutely had a blast covering the event like I do every year for CBSSports.com. On Thursday night, I did a Twitter thread, real-time grades and analysis for all 32 picks, wrote a mock draft for round two and round three afterward. I was up pretty late, so I'm running on fumes still a little bit, trying to revamp my body uh, as we get into the week here. And then from rounds two through round seven, I was the man behind all the CBSSports.com draft grades, live, uh, real-time analysis, a couple of sentences, and a letter grade for all of those picks from pick 33 to pick 259. That was me. So as usual, I'm going to jump right into it and give you guys draft grades. That's what I'm going to run here for the next couple of weeks so you can find your team. I'm going to start with the NFC East. No rhyme or reason behind that. I just said, hey, let's do NFC East first. Uh, and I'm going to start with the Dallas Cowboys on this episode. I thought it overall, and I'll give general thoughts at the beginning and then dive into the picks themselves and give a final grade at the end. It was an interesting draft because we knew that the Cowboys needed defense. I don't think anyone really expected them to pick a linebacker. I mean, there were a few times during the countless number of mock drafts that I did during the draft season where I, I did send a linebacker to the Cowboys in the first round. But as we got closer to the draft, I would lean either offensive lineman or corner. So they doubled up at the linebacker spot. They picked two cornerbacks and they picked two edge rushers. If you want to count Osa Odigazua from UCLA as an edge rusher, 6'2", 279, played on the edge, probably needs to be an interior rusher in the NFL, but does have like the movement skills and the hip fluidity to play on the edge if he needs to. With the Micah Parsons selection, I'll start in round one. He's a great prospect. I, I didn't have him graded as high as number 12 overall. I had him in the early 20s. The speed at 6'3 and 240 is freaky. It's even maybe a step above where Devin White and Devin Bush were a few years ago in the 2019 draft season. And he is so unique in that he can bring it as an edge rusher around the corner. Like you don't, it's not just with Micah Parsons, you're getting a good blitzing linebacker. You're getting someone that is capable of lining up with his hand in the dirt as an edge rusher is like a 6'3", 240 pound edge rusher, which there are edge rushers that size in the NFL. And he can win with a bull rush. He can dip around the corner, just a straight outside speed rush and bend to the quarterback. Has some pass rushing moves, speed to power conversion, of course, because he's very explosive. I just don't know how much I like picking a linebacker this early. 
And we know that yesterday they declined the fifth-year option on Leighton Vander Ash. I think when he's healthy, he's one of the better three-down linebackers in the league. But we know that with that neck injury, he has not been able to stay healthy after being a first-round pick in 2018. But if you've listened to this podcast, I've kind of soured on the idea of picking a linebacker in the first round, especially in the top 15. I just think it is so difficult to be a good linebacker in today's NFL. And with Parsons, the reason why it's so difficult generally for linebackers today is really his weakness. That I think he has the ability to be a good cover guy, but he really wasn't used in that regard. He didn't sink in coverage very often. He was mostly a quarterback spy a blitzer, like I said before, an edge rusher, and he brings value as a pass rusher. And I think if you are going to pick someone like Micah Parsons or Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray or Jordan Brooks, these explosive linebackers that have gone in the first round and they're not great in coverage, you might as well try to use them as blitzers and affect the pass game that way. I think Parsons is ahead of where Patrick Queen and where Jordan Brooks and where Kenneth Murray were, but Five pass breakups last year, no interceptions, uh, just does not have a lot of experience in coverage. And it wouldn't surprise me if kind of similar to Devin White, who I think after the Super Bowl, everyone was like, oh, he's the best linebacker in football. That's just not true. Throughout the regular season, he was a liability in a lot of areas, but was a great blitzer, not a pass rusher on the edge, but just a blitzer up the A gap. We'll see Micah Parsons have a similar start to his career, that the athleticism is just so exceptional that he will make plays, plays sideline to sideline. He's a good block shedder, one of the better block shedding linebackers that I've scouted in the last couple of years. Most of them are not very good in that regard. But I think he'll be a little bit of a liability in coverage, having to flex out into the slot, cover tight ends, make reads in zone. And we always think that, or it's easy to think, that zone coverage is easy, but it's not. You have to read route concepts and understand where you need to be in your zone and when it's okay to peel off the edge of your zone to make a play on the football or where you need to stay put because there is a uh, over route coming right behind you. And the first route that you see is the one that's drawing you up so then they can throw it over the top of you. So I think Parsons at 12 was a little rich. I liked Kelvin uh, Joseph in round two. Uh, he is a little bit inconsistent, but I think he's good mirroring in general. And the Alabama game really stood out to me. He was fantastic against Devontae Smith and the rest of that receiver group down the field, had an interception of Mac Jones. Uh, it was an Auburn transfer. If I'm it, Auburn or LSU, one of the two, uh, he transferred to Kentucky and had four picks last year. I think he's a good player. That's what they needed. They needed another outside corner. Um, a, Six foot one, 192 pounds. I think with Kelvin Joseph, they got a starter. Um, after that, uh, Jabril Cox in the fourth round, the linebacker. Now, it's a little bit strange because you had Sean Lee retire. You have Jalen Smith on this big extension. Leighton Vander Ash does not get his fifth year option picked up, but he's going to play this year. He's a, the penciled in starter. You draft Micah Parsons in the first round at 12 overall. And then you pick Jabril Cox at 115. So because of the the abundance of linebackers that they have, I wasn't a huge fan of it from that perspective. But Jabril Cox brings coverage ability to that linebacker group. That Jalen Smith, even when he was at Notre Dame pre-injury, I thought this is an explosive player similar to Micah Parsons. Big recruit, explosive player, sideline to sideline range, big hitter. 
didn't think he was that good actually beating blocks. I, I think Parsons is better in that regard. But the coverage wasn't there, and it hadn't been there early in his NFL career. I think he made a lot of splash plays when the defensive line was pretty good, kept him clean, and he wasn't really asked to make a lot of plays in coverage. Since he signed that extension a few years ago, he's been a little bit of a liability when he has to turn and flip his hips and make plays down the field. Jabril Cox, going from North Dakota State to LSU, transitioned amazingly. I wasn't sure what to expect going for a defensive player that plays that difficult position that is tasked with so many responsibilities. I wasn't sure how he was going to play, and I actually thought it, it might actually turn out pretty bad for him. Goes in the fourth round. I mean, there was some early, very early on buzz that he could be like a first or a second round pick um, during the season. And I think he looked like someone that was a tick late reading his keys and making plays downhill. And there's not a ton of urgency to his game, but in terms of flexing out and playing the slot or sinking in zone, flipping his hips, making a play on the football. He had a couple interceptions last year at LSU, uh, 6'4", 231. I think he, it was a great find and don't be surprised. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a better player than Micah Parsons, but if ultimately when you're factoring in number 12, overall number 115 overall, if Jabril Cox is a better value, than Micah Parsons eventually, because you have to be a good coverage linebacker in today's NFL. Other selections, um, Nashawn Wright, the cornerback from Oregon State, number 99 overall. I got to say, he was completely off the draft radar. I had watched a few of his games, did not make my top 275, looked around the internet. There was barely a blip of information about him anywhere. Uh, not great staying in phase. He's um, not the fastest down the field. I don't even know if he has NFL caliber speed on the field. I think he tested pretty well, but I, I didn't see the ability to run with NFL caliber wide receivers. And if this would have been a sixth or a seventh round pick, okay, fine. 99 overall. That was weird. It was very, very strange. Uh, the edge rushers, Osa Odigazua. I, I like how he plays with leverage. Decent handwork, not great. Quick first step needs to win through a gap initially and will get up and under blockers. And that defensive line needs to be reworked. Like we know there's Demarcus Lawrence there, but they've lost some interior pieces. The edge is pretty good. And even though he is technically or he was labeled as an edge by some, he needs to play inside. I like that because they do need interior pass rush. And then Chauncey uh, Golston from Iowa at 84 overall, great with his hands. Uh, a lot of those Iowa players were his teammate Davion Nixon, who went. Um, later in the draft, actually, to the Panthers, another player pretty similar. Like they use their hands very well. You know, they're well coached at Iowa. He's just kind of a stiff athlete. So 84 overall to be an edge rusher, 6'5, 270. He actually reminds me a lot of Bradley and Nye, who the Cowboys picked last year, this handwork machine. But the probability that he would succeed was significantly lower when he did not test very well at last year's combine. Chauncey Golson's kind of in that same mold. He's actually a little bigger than Bradley and I was. Uh, he'll set a strong edge. He, he will be a contributor. I just don't know if he's a big impact type. And to pick him there at 84 overall, I think was a little early. The rest of the selections, uh, I'll just go through them quickly. That's what I'll kind of the template that I'm going to follow. Josh Ball technically has upside because he's 6'8", 309, great athleticism, but he is an older prospect. Um, Simi Fahoko from Stanford, another one, older prospect, but 
I like the side speed and suddenness combination with him. 6'4", 220, tested through the roof at the Stanford Pro Day, ran under 4'4", three-cone drill under seven seconds, that magic number that you want to see for really any player, but certainly the wide receiver position. Uh, And he's pretty good in contested catch situations and can create separation. So there's not a a crazy high probability that he becomes an amazing receiver being a fifth-round pick. And that he really broke out in that final season at Stanford as a 23-year-old. But I like the pick at number 179. I think it's worth the roll of the dice that late in the draft. Quentin Bohana from Kentucky in round six. Seems like a round six selection. I I didn't really like him as much as some of the other athletic nose tackles. But that's what he is. He's pretty athletic relative to his size. Is he going to be a great pass rusher? Probably not. Um, Israel Mukamu from South Carolina, the corner. Very, very long. I want to see him play safety. I don't know if he has the suddenness. I don't think he has a suddenness to stay with these separators in today's NFL. But his ball skills and his pass disruption radius, gigantic. So let him play safety. He took some reps out there for the Gamecocks in 2020. I I wouldn't mind seeing him play safety and just say, hey, keep your eyes on the quarterback and get near the football and then use your length because he certainly has that at six foot. And 205. So overall, looking at my grades um, and, and what I thought about the first round selection of Micah Parsons, I'm going to give the Dallas Cowboys a B minus, C plus, B minus, somewhere in that range. Actually, let's go C plus. I'm going to be a tough grader. C plus, I think Bohana was not necessary after picking some other defensive linemen. And I think overall, um, a nose tackle is not going to bring you a lot of value. Josh Ball, Simi Fajoko, technically have upside, but they are older. I like Jabril Cox, Nashawn Wright. I did not understand that. So C-plus for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, They did have the right philosophy, though, prioritizing defense early on. Moving now to the New York Giants, who had a very unique draft in that their GM, Dave Gettleman, traded down for the first time in, I believe, 11 drafts that he's been the GM for. Um, with multiple teams, and it was the right move. They moved back from 11 to 20. The selection of Kadarius Tony was a little surprising to a lot of people, but I actually liked it because he was a weird one for me because watching him, I didn't get a great feeling about how much I liked him. Like I thought, hey, this is like a, you know, he's, it's getting some first round buzz at the time. And I'm like, no, this is like a late second, early third round pick. But then when I graded him in the five categories that I think are most important to playing wide receiver today, and then adjusted for the fact that he was a little bit taller than people thought and a little bigger, uh, he finishes my number 33 overall prospect uh, in this draft class. So to pick him at 20 after a trade back, getting extra selections, I thought that was a really good pick. I mean, he is an explosive playmaker. Everyone can agree uh, on that from the SEC who has crazy juking ability. He maybe tries to do too much at times, but when you're on an offense with Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley, you don't have to be the guy and you can just give what the defense or take what the defense gives to you and make plays. I gave it a B plus in real time. Uh, I think it's great for Daniel Jones. I like them prioritizing the playmakers going into year three with Danny Dimes. After that, at 50, Aziz Oljulari, my number one edge rusher, 
fantastic value there. I gave that an A minus in real time. And of course, my grading system, my scouting reports are not, I'm not factoring in medical stuff. And that's what a lot of people were saying in round two as he continued to slip. The reason he didn't go in round one where he was really mocked for a long time was that he had a lingering knee issue. And maybe for the Giants, they said, hey, we're not worried about the knee. We are getting a great edge rusher. And I really think he can be a superstar in the NFL. And that was kind of a need. I mean, they they bring back Leonard Williams and he's, depending on what site you look at, he, he's a defensive end, but we know he's more of an inside player. He's not an edge rusher. Um, they have O'Shane Ziminis. They don't have a lot else in terms of a threatening edge rusher. I like this selection a lot. One of my favorite picks in the second round. And then Aaron Robinson in the third round. I believe they traded up to get him. And I'm not a huge fan of trading up in general, but they had already traded back. And cornerbacks are pretty valuable position today. So it's not like trading up for a running back or a tight end. Aaron Robinson, he's feisty. I think he can play inside or outside. He has enough size to be on the perimeter if he's facing a, a top-tier wide receiver who is going to play inside and outside. And a lot of the best receivers in today's NFL play both. They play inside and outside. Great mirroring skills. He's got late feet. He's got the suddenness that you need to play the nickel position in the NFL. He's not like the smallest and hyper twitchiest corner, but that's why I think he can play on the outside too. Good in run support. Uh, a lot of those UCF defenders have been really well coached and hustle through the snap. That is Aaron Robinson. And the secondary played pretty well down the stretch, but it could use some youth to it. And I think Aaron Robinson at 71 was a great selection. Ellerson Smith. Um, at 116, I thought was a bit rich for him because he does need to gain a little bit of weight at like six, seven, two forty-five. but I like that he has pass rushing moves and he's another one. I like his hustle. I like that there's speed to power conversion just needs to get a little bigger. He's going to probably get handled by some bigger mauling left tackles and right tackles in the NFL, but he's the type that we know Dave Gettleman has liked in the past, like Lorenzo Carter, Cam Brown, these taller off-ball linebacker edge rushers. I mean, he, Smith was mostly an edge rusher at Northern Iowa and was very productive, but I thought he felt like a, a small school productive type that would get picked fifth, sixth round. They pick him at 116 overall. Um, Gary Brightwell, I watched him late in the process, the running back from Arizona that the Giants picked at 196 overall. He's thick, he's explosive, uh, and I don't think he's crazy elusive, but he has good feet, and he's going to be able to dodge some tacklers that are diving at his feet um, or defensive linemen that are trying to get off blocks, um, and he has power to his game simply because he runs with reckless abandon. Like He will run through arm tackles. He's not necessarily a contact balance guy, but I don't think it was a, a bad choice in round six. It's probably where you should be picking a, a second string or a third string running back at 196 overall. And then Rodarius Williams, the cornerback from Oklahoma State, I thought was fantastic value at 201 overall. He is an older prospect, but very experienced in the wide open Big 12. Had a lot of production on the football. Bigger, six foot, 195, decent length. Uh, very clean film. Like there weren't a lot of times where you saw him beat over the top. Um, he doesn't have crazy good speed, but I think he mirrors well. He reads route concepts well because he is so experienced. So for a team in the Giants to double up at corner, give Danny Dimes a explosive, versatile playmaker in Kadarius Tony after trading back 
And then add, like adding some depth pieces there with Ellison Smith and Gary Brightwell. I thought they had a pretty strong draft. And they do get that first round pick, I believe, in that trade back um, with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, they do. The first rounder and a fourth rounder um, in that Justin Fields trade. So they're building for the future, too. I like what Dave Gettleman did. And looking at my grades, it looks like a B to B plus. Uh, I'll go. I'll go B plus because I gave Aaron Robinson an A minus. I gave Aziz Ojulari an A minus. I actually gave Allison Smith an A because I, I I like his upside. I just thought it was a tick early, uh, and I like Gary Brightwell too and and Rodarius Williams. So overall, B plus for the New York Giants. Uh, great job moving back, getting the offensive talent that you needed, and then addressing the defense to keep that unit on the uprise like it was or on the rise like it was uh late in 2020 now moving to the philadelphia eagles very interesting draft for them because they pass on quarterback and then they move up with the cowboys and pick Devonte smith at number 10 i was fine with the trade up there's only two spots they didn't trade a ton and i really liked Devonte smith i was not concerned about his weight uh i just had him as my number three wide receiver in this class because i didn't think he moved the same on the field as Jalen Waddle, my top receiver, and did not have the physicality and the yards after the catch skill of Jamar Chase. But we know he's a fantastic wide receiver. And if you want to see what Jalen Hurts has this year, give him good receivers. Don't paint him into a corner and say, well, hey, you didn't really work out. You were a second-round pick, but all we really had was Jalen Rager and John Hightower. Get him some talent and see what he can do because you know that he fits that mold of today's quarterbacks that are in trend of being able to scramble and improvise. I think he still has a ways to go as a passer. And there were some ghastly games from him as a passer late in the season, but he also had a 300 yard passing game and ran for hundred yards in a game. So getting Devonte Smith in round one, I like that uh, in real time. I gave that an a minus, you know, trade up to get him was a little bit costly, not crazy um, price. Um, but, and it's always weird trading with a division rival. You have to wonder like where the Cowboys trying to fleece them probably. Um, but they needed an alpha type wide receiver. And I think if Jalen Rager is healthy with Devonte Smith, that's a pretty fun young wide receiver group that could really sneak up on people because they're both very explosive down the field and play a lot bigger than their size in round two, Landon Dickerson at 37 overall, I had been on the record and on this podcast and other podcasts and radio spots. And in my evaluation master sheet my that produced my big board not being as high on Landon Dickerson as everyone else everyone loved all the he's a leader and he took a snap in the national title game and he's this great guy like that's great and I certainly didn't factor that in and I never factor that in uh, to my grading system because I don't know these players but I think that really got the Landon Dickerson um, hype to kind of be a little bit out of control and at 6'6", 338 at the Alabama Pro Day. And maybe he wasn't able to maintain his weight because he's had a torn ACL that happened in December. But he's not playing center at that size. You cannot be 6'6", 340 in the NFL and play center. Maybe if he gets down to the 320s, he could play center. But still, that's I think he has to play guard. And he certainly played all those positions, like even at Florida state from his time there before transferring to Alabama, he had played every position up front at some point. And at six, six, you know, he can play tackle. He can play guard. I think he needs to be a guard in the NFL. He's definitely a mauler. 
he's definitely someone that is very aware of stunts and blitzes and will help out his teammates. I just think he's a little stiff. He plays upright, and he's not a great mover in general. I think for his size, he moves relatively well, but the center position in most cases is predicated on uh, how quickly you get out of your stance. You can get to those reach blocks, get to the second level. I think he's average, slightly above average at best when you're looking at him, comparing him to other centers, but he does have a great anchor. I think he's pretty good in pass protection, not a ton of recovery skill, um, but at 37 overall to pick someone that probably won't be ready and at a hundred percent by the start of the season. I mean, maybe he could be, it, it would be like nine months out from the injury. Um, I thought it was a little bit too early. I gave that a B minus, but then after that, I liked Milton Williams, uh, Tom Donahoe apparently did not, uh, but the rest of the scouting staff there, Howie Roseman and company did like it. If you saw that video, it's hilarious. Um, them celebrating the pick and then Howie Roseman going to fist pound, uh, Tom Donahoe, who's like a consultant in their scouting staff, former GM, and he didn't like it. I thought at 73, that was good value. Gave it a B plus. He's a great, amazing athlete, like otherworldly athlete. Um, uses his hands well. I'm just worried about how he's going to project forward after eating up lesser competition. That BYU game really scared me with him. I watched a few other games early on. I was like, this is like a first round pick. Like, how is this guy not getting more buzz? And I was like, oh, watch him against BYU. They completely erased him. So I think at 6'4", 278, uh, with long arms, crazy athleticism, there is projectable upside to him. And at 73, that was a lot better than picking him at like 37. After that, Kenneth Gainwell in round five at 150. I really like that selection, gave it a B plus. I don't think he's like someone that's going to win in between the tackles. Um, he's pretty tiny, but he has slot receiver ball tracking skills. There were some plays at Memphis in 2019 down the field where you're like, whoa, that's a running back tracking the football, getting his feet in bounds kind of fits that mold of these running backs that teams are realizing, hey, if we're going to pick you, you need to do more than just take a handoff for us. But very inexperienced, doesn't have a lot of um, mileage on his legs, which is good, but we haven't seen so much of him that we know the exact type of player that he's going to be. Uh, some other selections, they made a few others on day three. Taron Jackson, the edge rusher from Coastal Carolina. I gave that a B minus. He's very uniquely shaped. He can kick inside. I think he needs to. Very heavy hands, and his bull rush is awesome. So I think when you are coming into the NFL as a day three selection, you need to be good in one area or the other. You either need to be a freaky athlete that's super raw, or if you're not a great athlete, you need to be awesome with your hands if you're a defensive lineman. And Taron Jackson is good with his hands. He's not a great athlete, so that could limit his upside and how good he is likely to be in the NFL. But the Eagles need to add some youth up front, uh, and they do that in round six, maybe they're not projecting him and, and thinking he's going to be a big part of the rotation. But I like Taron Jackson. And then their seventh round pick, 234 overall, Patrick Johnson, a similar type player, overachiever from Tulane, good handwork. I actually think uh, there's some pretty good bend to his game. Like he's not a crazy athlete, but I think he can turn the corner and flatten to the quarterback, which is a nice trait to have for a seventh round pick that was pretty productive uh, and has pretty good handwork. So I, I liked those selections, gave those both in the B range. And then at 224 overall, I'm kind of jumping around here. Uh, Jacoby Stevens, 
not a great coverage linebacker. He was a big recruit at LSU, but being that quarterback spy and coming downhill on underneath routes and plays at the intermediate level, I think he can be good in that regard. 6'2", 230, very good athlete. We know that LSU is is typically pumping out big-time athletes from that program. Jacoby Stevens never really lived up to the hype as some of the big-time safety prospects from LSU, but I think he can be that slot defender blitzer that is becoming more in vogue in today's NFL. So overall, I like what the Eagles did. I don't think it was an amazing draft class, but there weren't any real warts on the resume for Howie Roseman and his staff in the 2021 draft class. I'm going to give the Eagles a B plus. A lot of B pluses that I gave out to them uh, during this draft class. And then I think Devontae Smith was an A selection in round one, even though the trade up did occur with the Dallas Cowboys. But I, I think that's what that team needed. Uh, so B plus for the Philadelphia Eagles for their 2021 draft class. And last but definitely not least, the Washington football team that seemingly out of nowhere has become a pretty competent organization, which is so weird to hear myself say that. Uh, what they did this offseason was fantastic, I thought, bringing in William Jackson, Curtis Samuel, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, even though, yes, he has a ceiling. But with that defense, Ryan Fitzpatrick does not have to force the football into double coverage and try to score 35 points a game. That's where the interceptions arise. Um, even Taylor Heineke obviously played well in the playoffs. They bring him back on a restricted free agent deal. But we're talking about the draft, uh, and I think they've kind of kept that steam roll or that momentum rolling with a full head of steam. Jamin Davis at 19 overall, Jamin Davis, excuse me. I gave that on draft night. Let's see. I have the notes right here. I gave it a B plus he's tall. He's twitchy. Uh, he glides to outside runs. He's pretty good sifting through traffic and he did make plays in coverage. And that to me is why he was a first round pick in terms of his on field play. Tested through the roof at the Kentucky Pro Day. That's probably what cemented him inside the first round. I think it with one year of major production and what I noticed on film with him it takes an extra second to recognize where he needs to be. He kind of reminds me in a way of like Tremaine Edmonds, that Tremaine Edmonds was a freaky athlete, really long, made plays in coverage, sideline to sideline range, but was always like a split second behind everyone else to get to where he needed to be and read his keys, either get downhill or understand that it wasn't a run. It was play action and to start sinking. That's kind of how I felt with Jamin Davis. But on that Washington football team with like five first round picks on the defensive line, he's going to be kept clean. I think he's going to be a big time tackle producer for the Washington football team for Ron Rivera's club. And he has the coverage ability that is vital. So I really like that selection on draft night besides the instincts and the play IDing abilities for their linebacker. After that, Samuel Cosme at number 51 overall, I gave it a B minus. And that was me leaning toward acknowledging the predictive powers of athleticism. And he had a pro day at Clemson or at Clemson at Texas. That was absurd. It was in the Tristan Wirfs category, uh, a 10 yard split in the 91st percentile, a 40 yard dash 487 in the 97th percentile among offensive tackles, a vertical in the 73rd percentile, broad jump 97th percentile, three cone 
91st and 20 yard shunnel 98th percentile and he had 36 bench press reps so 97th percentile there i did not see that type of athleticism on film i thought from 2019 when he got some early round buzz watching his film because there was some thought that he was maybe going to come out he returned to texas thought he just needs to get stronger because there were some plays. I remember that LSU game against Caleb Von Chason, who went to the Jaguars in the first round last year, where he was bull rushed a little bit too easily. And then it was weird watching him in 2020. It was like, oh, he must have put on weight or he got stronger. But I think that sapped some of his athleticism. His footwork, I think, needs to be cleaned up. But he is a lot nastier. And I think his pass blocking technique with his hands being inside, having a strong grip. Very good. So would I have liked the Washington football team to maybe go in a different direction and maybe pick offensive linemen in the first round and then linebacker in round two? Probably. But teams don't have to go with the same positional philosophy that I have to get a a higher grade. So I still gave it a B minus. They needed to address left tackle early, and they did that at number 51 with Samuel Cosme. After that, Benjamin St. Just from Minnesota, the Michigan transfer, I gave that a B, long, angular, athletic. I think he's going to be a better pro than he was in college. Uh, At the Senior Bowl, we saw that he can stay with some of the, not necessarily smaller speedsters, but if we're talking a 6'1 wide receiver that runs good routes, he, at 6'3 and 200 pounds, has the length and the fluidity to mirror relatively well, and we know he has good speed. He's a long strider. We know that he has the length to disrupt passes at the intermediate level and down the field. He was a big time riser during the pre-draft process. Maybe thought it was a little early for him. I thought he was more of a fourth round pick, but he goes in the third. And that's a defense that it's not just up front. They have some good pieces in the back seven as well. They could have used a corner um, in this draft at some point and, and to prioritize a very valuable position, I think was smart for the Washington football team. 82, Diami Brown. Okay, I didn't hate Diami Brown, the prospect. I liked Daz Newsom more than him on film, but Diami Brown tested like a third-round pick, and Daz Newsom, unironically, tested like a sixth-round pick. So that's probably the difference between those two. I'm interested to see how Diami Brown separates because at UNC, he was a goal-ball receiver, whether it was a post or just a straight go route. They just said, hey, man, run deep. We're going to throw it up to you because he's pretty good in contested catch situations. Uh, I, I don't I didn't see a lot of yards after the catch wiggle from him. But I think uh, at six foot, 190 pounds um, does have what looks like decent athleticism when he's running his routes that he could be a pretty good yards after the catch receiver. Eventually, I just think he's a little more raw than most people thought. And there was some even late in the process, like day or two before the draft, some speculation that he could be a first round pick. I think it's better where they ultimately got him at 82 overall. That's why I gave it a B plus in real time. After that, John Bates from Boise state was a tight end that was to me was flying under the radar. Six, six was a great pass catcher. Like he was one of the better yards after the catch tight end in this after Kyle Pitts pretty weak tight end class back-to-back years where the tight end class as a whole has not been very good. So John Bates, they have Logan Thomas there, but to give Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, and then probably a 2022 first round quarterback, another tight end option. I don't think it's a bad idea. He's a decent blocker. Um, and I just like how 
tough he was to bring to the turf. He's not a 6'6", 256 uh, tight end that is just going to catch the ball and fall down. Like He knows how big he is. He's kind of thunderous after the catch. Um, smaller safeties and corners try to tackle him. They bounce off him. I, I like that pick. Gave it a B- minus at 124 overall. I mean, a, a little earlier than I had him graded, but I could understand it because I, I want that team uh, to add more skill position talent, even though they did bring in Curtis Samuel and Animal Humphreys in free agency. Derek Forrest in the fifth round, 163 overall. I wrote lightning bolt of a safety prospect. He, to me, from the free safety spot, was probably the best pure alley runner of any safety. Like he would see that outside run and he would take a direct line to that ball carrier and would stop at nothing before he made that tackle. Um, pretty good changing directions. He's not crazy twitchy, but I think he's pretty fluid. There's some smoothness in his hips and his lower half. Um, mostly a free safety type, but I think in the fifth round, if you're getting someone that can make some plays as just strictly a free safety and is authoritative against the run, and we know those Cincinnati defenders, if you watch any Cincinnati Bearcat football, with Luke Fickle as their coach, that defense was swarming. And it, I mean, everyone that you would watch, they were 100 miles per hour every single play through the snap. That's definitely what they got with Derek Forrest. Did not like picking a long snapper in round six, but it was 225 overall. And William Bradley King. 240 overall. I gave that an A minus. He was, I was on Joe Marino's Locked On Bills podcast, and he asked me, who was the day three edge that you like? Like, it's almost an irrational adoration. And I said, William Bradley King, because at 6'4, 248, he got a little bit hit with the undersized label. I don't really think that's undersized. Very long arms, deceptively long. And I thought going from Arkansas State to Baylor, and that situation not being too big for him was impressive. And the fact that later in his career and then at the Senior Bowl, he showed the ability to string multiple moves together. He would have a bull rush into a rip move. He understood that he needed to have a plan and then have a counter if that initial plan was ultimately stymied by a blocker. So I like that. From William Bradley King, he's a little bit more refined than most seventh round picks, and he's a decent athlete. And I like too; he's pretty bendy. Like I don't think he's someone that's going to win strictly with explosiveness and dip around the edge, but he's not someone which most seventh round picks are. That's just going to get pushed past the quarterback every single rush. Where you're like, okay, all we need to do push him past the quarterback. He can't flatten. He's stiff. His ankles are not flexible. I think he's a good rusher. Don't be surprised if he makes. A little bit of noise in Washington, although, of course, he is behind Chase Young and a bunch in Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan. But I, I really like him as a developmental type if he can make that roster or at least sit on the practice squad for a year and, and play if there's injury a couple games 2022 uh, with Ryan Kerrigan likely gone at that point uh, to maybe play 20, 30 percent of the snaps. And that's good value at pick 240. Overall, I like him more than Shaka Tony, who they picked at 246. And then at 258, the second to last pick, the penultimate pick. I always use that word whenever I can. Dax Milne from BYU, Zach Wilson's favorite target. I really enjoyed watching Dax Milne's film in that he's a good route runner. Sudden, crisp, in and out of his breaks, shoulder fakes, head fakes to create separation because he's not a crazy athlete. 
has actually a fair amount of juice down the field, and he catches everything. The body control, the ball tracking ability, I think are top notch. And I wrote in my uh, live grades where I gave it an A minus and just a couple of tweets that I sent out with some film. He is the Hunter Renfro of this draft class. Renfro was more of a strict slot receiver and has been that for the Raiders. Didn't really test well, but he's pretty tough to cover in the NFL in the first couple of seasons. That's what the Washington football team is getting with Dax Milne at 258 overall. There's not a ton of room in that receiver group um, to make noise, and there's not a lot of opportunity because of Terry McLaurin, because of Curtis Samuel. But I like him as an overachiever. I think he's someone like Hunter Renfro that is just faster and more sudden and more reliable on the football field than expected based on his pro day. And because he's not crazy big catches a lot of pass or catches pretty much every pass thrown in his direction and a good route runner. So I think that's good to have. And it was very good value at two fifty eight overall. All right. Where are we at with time? 40 minutes. We're good. Uh, that was the NFC East draft grades. Oh, geez. I need to give the Washington football team a grade looking at my grades. Um, I'm going to give them also a B plus. So B plus for the Washington football team, B plus for the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe I gave the Giants an A my A minus, and I gave the Dallas Cowboys a C plus. So that will do it for the first edition of the prospect draft grades from the 2022 draft class. This was the NFC East. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Prospect Podcast.